Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Addiction Help Podcast. I am your host, Dan Hauser. With me, as always, today is Jessica Miller, Editorial Director for AddictionHelp.com. Hi, Jess. Hello. I think we're on episode six now. So, yeah, let's just say, uh, let's go with that yeah. one. But so, episode six now Yay. of the Addiction Help Podcast, where we discuss the latest in news, sports, and entertainment as it pertains to the world of addiction, addiction recovery, and mental health. Uh, as always, we'll just get this little thing out of the way like we always do. Thanks to everyone who continues to listen. Um, thanks to those of you who also listened and uh, took our request to heart and actually sent us some questions for this week. So part of today's episode, uh, yeah. later on the back half, we are actually going to get to some of your uh, listener questions and we'll have a fun time doing that. But thank you as always. And of course, please. If you have already sent questions and you have more from today, or if you have yet to do so, please uh, send us some questions and we will happily answer them uh, on a future episode of the podcast. Also, as a friendly reminder, please like, subscribe, rate, review, follow, whatever it is that you do on your listening platform of choice. Uh, please go ahead and do that so that way you can always know when the latest episodes have come out. Uh, typically, we do release those on Wednesday mornings, but sometimes things in life happen like technology and other things and so sometimes there might be delays but if you are subscribed to us you will know when the new episode every week drops so on that note let's get right into this week's episode and our first topic of discussion today is um sticking to kind of the celebrity theme that we had from last week uh tom holland recently sat down for an interview well sat down you know in today's world you don't actually sit down interview anymore. It's usually done over Zoom or the phone or texting or whatever. But he spoke with a reporter from Entertainment Weekly about his new Apple TV Plus show, The Crowded Room. And during that interview, we actually got some some pretty uh, insightful information from him. And that is that he has now been sober for one year and four months. So that was a cool little tidbit that he went ahead and dropped in there. I didn't know that. I had That's no so idea rad. either, but I'm guessing a lot of people probably learned that uh, reading that Entertainment Weekly article because he just kind of like, I don't want to say randomly dropped it in there, but it was kind of just like, oh, by the way, I've also been sober now for a year and four months as a, as kind of just a, as an aside within the article. But not only did he speak up about or did he mention that he's been sober now for a year and four months, uh, he also addressed his mental health struggles and specifically um, you could say his lack of understanding them previously. Uh, he credited this TV series and the experience that he had on set to opening his eyes up to to not just mental health as a whole for everyone, but it helped him identify that his, his own mental health struggles that he either whether he didn't realize fully what he had or what he was what he had going on, or he just chose not to look within himself or ignored it. I think it's so interesting, like how sometimes things that you wouldn't expect force you to confront those mental health issues like you said that he mentioned that it was the show him him basically that's what he does for work right and him you know portraying this character i don't know anything about the show or the story or the character that he's portraying what it sounds like whatever it was really forced him to confront that issue of his and I think that's, so, you know, that's really interesting. Yeah, ba basically what he, essentially what he said, the Reader's Digest version, I have a couple quotes here I can read as well, but essentially the Reader's Digest version of it is the character he was playing is a is a bad person. I, once again, I don't know all the details about the show either. I can tell you that 
as a fan of his work, I will now absolutely be checking that show out on Apple TV once it drops. But uh, basically, he was going home from work every day and he was looking in the mirror and he was basically seeing aspects of that character within himself and it was things that he didn't like. And so wow. it it opened wow. up it opened up a whole new world from a mental perspective. One quote uh he he said here specifically was he said I was seeing myself in him, him referring to the character he was playing, but in my personal life. I remember having a bit of a meltdown at home and thinking like I'm going to have to shave my head. I need to shave my head because I need to get rid of this character. And obviously we were mid shooting so I decided not to, but it was like anything I've ever experienced before. That's so fascinating, like thinking about actors and again, you know, you I have very, very little experience and I'm I'm always trying to relate to other people, right? Like how can I put myself in their shoes? So like, you know, in my brief time in, in like high school theater, that's all I can relate to. I find it so interesting that there are so many celebrities that will talk about, like actors specifically that will talk about yeah, portraying this character really took a toll and people, you know, even warning others like, you know, the infamous um, Heath Ledger portrayal of the Joker. I was going to say, unfortunately, you know, we have Heath Ledger as that example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and so he was he even had conversations with Jack Nicholson about, you know, who also portrayed the Joker um, previously, who kind of like warned him that, you know, I guess in the portrayal of these characters you can kind of lose yourself and unfortunately you know Heath Ledger passed and you know that's potentially a podcast topic honestly because it's it it was um substance abuse related like kind of sort of ish so going back to Tom Holland I just think it's it's interesting and sad and curious to me how this work that they do puts them in this position to really, I, I, I don't know, like face their inner demons, run from them, like portray these characters. And I, I just think that's, that's interesting, you know? So obviously, you know, once again, going on the theme of back to the theme of last week, when we discussed with uh, John Mulaney, the, the good news from all this is that it had a positive ending. The story, just like John Mulaney went yeah. and got himself the help that he needed, obviously, uh, uh, Tom Holland is now one year and four months sober. Uh, he also stated in the art or in in the article, he said that he hopes uh, viewers of the Crowded Room, which is the name of the show that he's currently working on, have more respect and more sympathy for people who are going through mental health issues. I hope that people will feel educated about the powers of mental health, the struggles, and our incredible abilities to survive. So once again, the story ends up being a positive one. It's you know quote unquote happy ending, uh, and it's another example like we kept hammering home last week about. Uh, a celebrity in a in a in a in a situation where he can once again bring more um, more attention to to mental health, mental health struggles, addiction, and that it it it's okay to go and seek help because uh, there are people out there that want to help right. you. So and once using again, your just, platform, he used that platform again to destigmatize uh, yeah. addiction and mental health, and you know remind people out there that it it's it's an illness like everything else in life, and you know, if you're sick, you're going to go to the doctor. If you're sick, you know, if you have the flu or if you have, you know, diabetes or any any other ailment, you're going to go to a doctor and you're going to seek help and treatment for that. And you should do the same for your right. brain and you should do the same when it comes to addiction as well. Your, your brain is literally just an organ. I could like I will not bring that soapbox out right now, but 
just as a reminder, your brain is an organ, just like a any very important other one though, because it basically controls everything else. But yes, it is at the it end does. when you break it down to its basic basics, it is just an organ. It it right. It is a fallible part. But like you said, just like any other organ in your body, if if it is uh, not healthy, you go and you figure out a way yeah. to make it healthy again. I just wanted to throw one last thing out there yeah. about Tom Holland, if that's cool. Um, I also know he has been dating Zendaya for a few years now. I love her. Um, she stars in a HBO show that uh, probably a lot of listeners have heard of. It's called Euphoria. And that has to deal, that has to do with a lot of um, like addiction, substance abuse, the main character. Well, maybe not the main character, but the protagonist that, that Zendaya portrays is struggling with addiction throughout the couple of seasons that we've seen so far. And I mean, there's a whole lot more drama and, you know, stuff to the show, but I wonder, you know, cause she's been very open about, um, she, she hasn't personally struggled with it that she's said, but she's been very open about her portrayal of this character, Rue and Rue's struggles and always encourages her audience, you know, watch this with caution if you're struggling, get help. And, you know, is like I said, very open about that. And so I wonder, like, to be a fly on the wall for their conversations, because they both seem very, you know, self-aware and very um, strong advocates for, you know, seeking help and mental health and things like that. So I wonder, you know, how much of that influence, that, that positive influence they've had on each other, you know, just that was just like a thought that I had while kind of reading this. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you go back to we see these people as celebrities and in this in this light and we put them all up on a pedestal. But at the end of the day, they go home and they do the same stuff yeah. that we do and they have the same conversations with their right. significant others that we do. You know, their their conversations right. about their workday might be a little bit more unique and a little different than ours. But at the end of the day, it's still a conversation about how did work go today? What did you do? To, you know, so it's, it's you know, it, it, it's right. once again a reminder that while while they do have the ability to share a plat share you know messages on a platform at a much higher level they still go through the same stuff that we do every day as far as mental health and and things going on in our lives and struggles that that we all experience every day they do too just obviously in a much more unique perspective because of what they do for a living okay well on that note um we are going to move on to a very very cool portion of today's show as i mentioned in the start us off in the introduction, we had some listeners reach out to Jess specifically uh, with some questions about uh, some some of our brief topics that we hit on last week that we can expand a little bit on. So Jess, without further ado, uh, I will let you get started on that. Wrap on. Okay, so um, for those of you who may not have heard the podcast where we chatted, um, Dan chatted a little bit about his story. Do you, Dan, do you mind giving us like just a very brief recap of kind of what we discussed. Yeah, so essentially the Reader's Digest version is uh, I was prescribed ADD medication from first grade through high school. Uh, started off with Ritalin, moved on to Adderall. Uh, throughout my time on it, uh, you know, I experienced side effects of uh, stress, anxiety, depression. Uh, I didn't like the way that I felt. Uh, when I was on the Adderall. So to counter that, I was also prescribed Xanax as a, as a way to counter the side effects of the Adderall, which then in and of itself came with its own set of side effects. Obviously, Xanax being a depressant, you know, yeah. it just kind of 
zonked me out a little bit more, so to say. So uh, basically, one Did morning, you take I it just every day. I uh, so. Did you take the Xanax every day? I or took was the it like Xanax, an as needed, or I took the Xanax every day that I took the Adderall. So uh, in the summertime, uh, I okay. did not take Adderall, obviously, because it was mostly I was mostly taking it for concentration for school and whatnot. So if I wasn't taking the Adderall, I, you know, I. I wasn't always necessarily taking the Xanax, but if I was, if there was a day where I was taking an Adderall, yes, a hundred percent, I was taking um, a Xanax with it. And so, basically, one day I just woke up once again, like I said last week, do not try this at home. Woke up one day and just said, I am done, <laughs> and stopped taking everything, just cold turkey, and essentially moved on with my life. And we'll keep it at that because obviously, I know some of the questions that some of our listeners had are relating or relate to. Con- the continuation of that story so we will we will get to that with the questions here right well a i just want to say i i appreciate you being willing to be open about that and you know again going back to using your platform like we have a platform that probably a lot smaller than tom holland and zendaya's <laughs> but but you know being willing to be open about that is is really rad so i appreciate that um i I want to say, you know, I think that it's it says a lot about you that even at a young age, you know, you had enough sense of self to kind of determine like, okay, I feel bad on these days and I feel good on these days and to kind of, you know, figure out where that was coming from. Um, I meant to mention this before we got started. So if there's anything that I ask that you're like, you know what, I don't want to touch on that for the podcast like but we'll just we'll move on and that's fine um but i'm curious like so for your adhd symptoms what were your key symptoms that they were trying to to treat essentially if that's not um, too personal yeah no it, essentially i mean all the all the quote-unquote greatest hits of when it comes to you know add and add medication so you know uh, having trouble concentrating, having trouble focusing, having trouble kind of sitting st- in my younger years, you know, having trouble sitting still, um, yeah. mostly just being able to hone on, hone in on something and be able to concentrate enough on it to complete the task in full, whether it was studying for a test or doing my homework or just getting through a school day. You know, we, the, you know, the joke for people with ADD is, oh, look, a squirrel. You know, that was essentially me for a long time. <laughs> if there was literally anything. In, in my environment that could distract me, I would succumb to it essentially. So it was, it was mostly just, you know, focus and concentration based mostly to be able to uh, help channel my brain to get through school and be successful with my school. Were you, were you also then the distractor? Like, were you that uh, kid in class that you were like joking around so and stuff or talking a lot? Like that's part of how, we, my parents ended up realizing that I had ADD and getting diagnosed with it. You know, I had a teacher who, you know, and, and this is surprising because, you know, in, in today's age, I feel like being able to diagnose ADD before you even go to a doctor seems to be a lot, I don't want to say easier these days, but it seems to be more common where it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's more recognizable now. So we're, we're talking, we're talking early nineties here. So this is a time period where we have a better understanding yeah, and now, back then, like as it is, we call it ADHD. Like there's yeah. things that we know now that are different than in the '90s. Yeah, ba- back then, you know, ADD as a diagnosis wasn't a catch-all. It wasn't a oh, your kid's acting up in school. Maybe it's because 
they have something going on. It was, oh, your kid's just the class clown or the he's the one that just acts up in class because he just wants to act like that way, you know. So it wasn't once again, we talk about these stigmatizing things and accepting things more often. I feel like, you know, in, in that time period of the early 90s, it wasn't um, looked at the way it was now. But I, I, I had a teacher who instead of just saying, oh, yeah, your kid's acting up. Uh, and can't concentrate and can't sit still and can't focus uh, that that it recognize some of those as a potential to be, you know, recognize that potentially to be symptoms of something more than just your kid just wants to act up. And so it was suggested right. that that they take me to go essentially get tested for it. And obviously you know, I passed with flying colors. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> uh, well, passed in the sense that I had ADD with flying colors. Uh, and then so from right. there, obviously, you know, the, the medications were prescribed and and whatnot. And, you know, the rest, as they say, that's, is rock and roll that's history a very, from there. Yeah, that's a very similar story to my um, cousin, Stefan, who um, was diagnosed with uh, ADD as a, as a kid, too. I feel like, and we know this now, like it's, it was more commonly recognized in boys uh, who are, you know, younger um, and there have been in recent years, a lot of late diagnoses, especially in women, because of the way that ADHD presents itself in people, um, just as a, a quick like FYI. So um, there's two types, technically three types of ADHD. And nowadays when you get assessed, um, because what it stands for is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it might be hyperactive disorder. But basically, it's it's explaining, you know, your brain uh, functions slightly differently than what is considered the norm. And so you um, typically present as one or the other, but sometimes you can present as both. So you might have um, the, I wrote it down. Here are my notes. Yes, inattentive. So you can have inattentive form, which means, you know, your main symptoms or your most significant symptoms are going to be like what you described, like um, struggling to focus, having a hard time sitting still, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the other end of it is hyperactivity. And some people have more hyperactive traits. Um, for some people, especially women, actually, it's common to get misdiagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder because a lot of times uh, phases of hyperactivity present as mania, uh, which is, you know, you're you're just you can go for a few days with just being very spendy having a lot of energy not needing as much sleep things that are kind of traits of mania but in a more shorter period and then you can have adhd where you present um as a combination of both where you don't really have one side or the other side that is the most um prevalent in your symptoms so just as a little FYI to to listeners and stuff, because I like to learn things. And so if we're talking about a topic, I feel like, you know, we should be informed. So we want you guys to be informed. Um, so I anything can tell you want to add before I go back to grilling yeah, you? Yeah, so I can, tell, <laughs> I can tell you that while I do, I am fidgety and whatnot. And, and, you know, sometimes sitting still is a challenge. I wasn't, uh, the hyperactivity wasn't quite as defined in my initial diagnosis, so I, I was not initially, uh, at least to my, to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe I was actually diagnosed with ADHD. I think it was just regular ADD. But yeah, no, I mean the, the fidgety is there, and and if 
if I was never actually formally diagnosed with ADHD, I feel like I probably do show those kind of hyperactive symptoms um, much more on the mild side. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, sometimes it's tough to just kind right, of sit still typically... or fidgety or I mean, even right now, as we've been talking, you know, you can't see it on on camera because my hands are hidden. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, doing little fidgety Same. things or, you know, <laughs> touching the desk or anything. Um, so. I don't want to take the focus away from you because we're talking about you right now, but good. just to throw it out there. I was I was diagnosed late in life last year. I actually received an ADHD diagnosis um, and. If you guys notice, like I typically have some kind of something in my hands and I realized I was revealing it like on accident because I really struggle to sit still. I fidget a lot. So for those of you who actually are watching this podcast, you will see me move around a lot, which is also annoying because of this bright window behind us. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, I think I think funny enough, that was one of the first things that you and I bonded on on a personal level was talking about like our our diagnoses and just like chatting about our experiences a little bit so like one of the questions that we were sent um because i got a list they they wanted to say (laughs) how much they absolutely loved you um and let's see i i really um because i want to know this too like so after you stopped taking everything did you feel like was there an adjustment period like physically, did you feel any different right away? What was that like? So I don't know if it's just because it was so long ago and my memory shot or I just kind of blocked it out, but I don't remember a ton of what happened afterwards. I don't, I I don't, um, I feel like if I had gotten really sick and felt really bad as a result of withdrawals, I feel like that's something I would have remembered. So I don't remember having any sort of extreme after effects of stopping, um, I will say that once I got to college, um, school was a little bit more of a struggle, but I'm not so I'm not thoroughly convinced that it was a struggle because I was no longer taking Adderall. I think it was more of because of my own mindset of I know I'm just here to get to the next step and I just want to get in and get out from from this as far as college, you know. The joke, you know, the joke of it was Caesar a stepping degre- stone. Yeah. The joke of, you know, Caesar and degrees like I was kind of the poster child for that. It's like I don't I, I, I was I did really good in high school because I knew that I had to do really good in high school in order to get to college. But once I got to college, I knew that as long as I just got the, the, the piece of paper that says I graduated, like I'm not going to be sitting in an interview with somebody for a job and they're gonna say so what was your gpa your freshman year at why why know, can you college? explain like, why you got a b minus yeah, in statistics exactly can like, you tell yeah, me exactly so it's like just get me through here and get me out of here and you know i i kind of did my i went out on my own as far as getting the internships that i wanted to, to pursue for at the time what i thought was going to be my career so really it was just like your guys are just here to give me this piece of paper so let me just get that piece of paper and get on with my life yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I enjoyed my time in college too, and I did all the fun stuff that everyone does and whatnot. But I didn't. I didn't put that priority and that emphasis on the school portion. I think that I did when I was in high school. So while my grades weren't as good when I was in college, I don't. I don't chalk that up to because I wasn't on my medication. I chalk that up to just because I just. I know my mom's listening, so I don't. I don't want to say I didn't care about school when I was in college, <laughs> but like it was a means to an school end. And dumb, I just mom, sorry. It was just kind of a means to an end that I knew I just needed to get through to get out. And so, I mean, yeah, t- sorry, so, so to answer your question, but so to go back yes. to answering your question, I don't remember any specific 
uh, struggles I had. The only the one thing I will say is obviously I noticed that I became a I liked the person that I was much more once I stopped, and that was the big reason that I wanted to stop in the first place is because I didn't like the person yep. that I was when I was on everything. And I can tell you that um, from talking to my mom about about her recently, because I did kind of ask her some of what her observations were about it. You know, she said that she could tell I was a happier person. Um, I enjoyed my time, my senior year of high school more because I was able to be me. Uh, I enjoyed time with my friends more often. I was kind of able to just be a kid more and enjoy that. The life that, you know, when you're a 17 year old kid and you're a senior in high school, you, you know, I mean, you hang yeah, out with your friends and you go to party, you know, and all, and yeah. all those things that I never did because it was like, I was like a shell of myself and I was like a walking zombie. I was able to actually go out and enjoy that senior year of high school after I stopped. Did you ever, and, and it's possible you did it, but did you ever have a moment where, you know, post being, you know, post quitting where you were like, dang, this is, I'm so glad I did this. Like where you just paused for a moment because you realized like I would not be having this great experience or feeling this or anything like that potentially. Did you have like an aha? I'm sure at the time I did. And once again, it goes back to, I don't remember a ton of what happened after the fact. That's fair. Um, Sometimes you don't, you don't realize or you don't register things being good because they're good. And then you're just like, you know, yeah, you don't I think you looking back, your brain doesn't store those memories because there's nothing like bad to store. You know, I, I think looking back now. Yeah. I would say that the second I stopped, was my aha moment when I realized that I was back to being myself again. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I in the summer times, I wouldn't take the medications because I wasn't in school. And I, and I do remember mu being, enjoying who I was much more when I, in the summertime. So I, I'm sure, that, you know, I know that factored in because I knew I had gotten brief kind of looks into the person I was when I wasn't on the medication. So I kind of knew going in like who I was going to become all the time. So I'm sure, I'm sure after I stopped, right. it you was like, this like is awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've kind of broken out of the proverbial, uh, uh, prescription prison, so to say of, of, Right. The Adderall and the Xanax. And I'm just now me again. Yeah, that's a good point. And especially because because I didn't realize that either, that, you know, you were taking it as needed and more so during the school year versus during the summer. So you already kind of had this experience of like medicated Dan and unmedicated Dan and and this realization of like, this guy's way more fun and way better on my mental health. You know, and it just goes back to like what we talked about in the last podcast, um, which is actually something that this listener pointed out that they loved that you said as well was, um, you know, it's so important to do what is right for you and don't worry. You don't need to justify it to anybody else. And, you know, you making the decision that, hey, medication is not for me and your quality of life is better without it. But, but having that stance of, but you do you, I think is so critical because like someone like me, I... I recently had a whole episode issue with my Lexapro that I take. And it was just another reminder how vital it is for my mental health. And it's like, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. And I agree with the same sentiment. You need to do what's right for you as an individual. And you don't need to justify it to anybody, you know? Absolutely. And the one thing I will say too, though, is I know we're kind of painting me out, to, painting me to be this, you know, um, I don't want to say hero, but this person who, you know, overcame the odds and decided <laughs> so to stop sage on his own. And wise. Yeah. <laughs> You're my um, hero, Dan. 
<laughs> I will say there was one once again, and I and I I touched on it briefly last week, but I'll get into a little bit more now since we're kind of expanding on everything. The reason why I kept saying last week, "Don't try this at home," "Don't try this at home," is because as a 17 year old kid, I didn't know any better, and I was really stupid about what True. I did. Not not about the end process of stopping it, but the way I went about stopping it. I didn't tell my doctor, I didn't tell my parents, I didn't tell anyone. I woke up one morning and proverbially flushed the, the pills down the drain. I didn't literally do that because you're not you supposed actually, to do that. Oh, okay. No, well, you're not supposed to do that. I know you're supposed to dispose of, of prescription medications a certain way and whatnot. So I didn't literally just flush them down the toilet. But pr- proverbially, I just basically said, these don't exist in my life anymore and I'm done. But I didn't tell anybody. And I don't know if I didn't tell anyone because I was afraid that someone was going to try to talk me out of it, or I just didn't tell anyone because I had just made up my mind and there was no, and I just didn't need to have a conversation about it with everyone. But obviously, knowing what I know now from being in, in, in this field, that was really, really stupid because that could have gone really, really bad. I had been taking this ADD medication for you know, 10 plus years. Obviously, there is a dependency factor to it. You know, e- Even if you're not addicted to a substance, if you take it for long enough, you can still experience withdrawals from it once again i don't remember yep. experiencing any sort of real withdrawals i don't remember getting sick or or having anything bad happen to me so right and that's why i say don't try this at home because i got lucky but i probably should not right. have everyone lucky. is I pro- different yep. something really bad probably should have happened to me and very very luckily it didn't which is why i say don't try it at home so if you if you are somebody who whether you've been thinking about it previously or you're listening to this story today and saying maybe i should do this please please go if you don't want to talk to a family member about it, please at least go talk to your doctor about it. Uh, you you absolutely yes. need to, because in, in many cases, depending on the, the prescription you're taking, there might be a tapering off process where you, you just, you get your dosage lowered gradually until it's, until you're done for good. Uh, realistically, that's probably yeah. what I should have done was I probably should have gone through a professional tapering uh, process. Once again, I did not do that. Uh, so, Yes, while I am here to tell the tale of it and nothing bad happened to me, obviously, you know, every person's different. So please, please don't do what I did from the standpoint of just stopping without talking to somebody about it first. It's important to consult with whether it's your therapist or your treatment professional or your primary care physician. Um, just let somebody know what you want to do that's a professional before you go ahead and do it. Yeah. You um, you actually said something just now that um, was something that I potentially wanted to touch on if we have time, but you mentioned uh, addiction versus dependent. And I think a lot of people, including me, before I started working in this industry, a lot of people don't realize what the difference is. Absolutely. Yeah. And no, I mean, of course we have time. So if you want to, if you want to touch on that a little bit, we can, we can Sweet. get into that and, I, and, and we can, and we can kind of intertwine it back into my story a little bit as well, because, um, I'm sure there was a dependency factor there that for yeah. whatever reason, oh, almost you know, certainly for whatever reason, it didn't hit Especially me hard. Especially with but benzos. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So, so, uh, you know, have at it. <laughs> so addiction and dependence are, are two different things. And socially we have kind of used the word addiction to, as an umbrella term, and it ends up kind of covering a lot of things that it's technically not really addiction. Um, so, for example, um, coffee, caffeine, that is a substance. You can technically become dependent on it. Most of us, I'd say a lot of people listening probably are. I'm sitting hi. here. Hi, my, my, name Bull, is, so. hi my name is Dan, <laughs> and I drink a ton of caffeine every day just to be able to function as a human being. Oh, 
speaking of caffeine, I know we didn't get to it, but you had privately asked me what some of my things that I did uh, yes. to, to kind of interject move on from to kind of move on from from being from taking the medication and things that out you know outlets um i don't know if this is necessarily healthier for my body internally but caffeine i found that and and there's actually been study and research done on this for those that have add Mm -hmm. caffeine actually can be a great way to help with your concentration throughout the day so for me because i'm no longer taking any pills or any i should say prescription drugs um, I rely a lot on caffeine. Right. I drink a ton of caffeine. My wife looks at me and wonders how I'm able to not spin off this earth with the amount of caffeine that I drink on a daily basis. Um, but but it, I've also because of how your brain is wired. But so I can tell you different. that I've I've all I can tell you that I've also grown an immense amount of um, not dependency immunity. I guess you could say to caffeine. Like Tolerance. I need a lot of it. I'm sorry. Tolerance. Yeah. Tolerance. I need a lot of it. I could like. The amount of caffeine that's in a standard soda or soft drink, I could literally be sitting on the couch drinking a, a, a Coke at night and fall asleep while drinking it. That doesn't do anything for me. I need I, I same. so you drink Red Bulls. I used to drink Red Bulls. Now I drink Celsius, but I need a Celsius or I need a very strong coffee with another shot of espresso in it in the morning. You know, I I need some might say I need dangerous levels of caffeine. It works for me, so that's one of the, that was one of kind of my things that I, I, I turned to. The other thing I did as yeah, well sure. was I, I basically said to myself, as I touched on a little bit, I said, these, these prescriptions don't exist to me anymore. So I, I basically told myself that going back to taking these prescriptions is not an option. So you better figure something out so you can be a functioning member of society and get through life because you're not going back to taking these pills again. So, you know, you, you said, you know, that, when people I mean, that's kinda, a really strong willpower. I essentially you know, had a hard, that, I said that, like you're done moment. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to throw the term intervention intervention around loosely because it's a very serious thing, but I essentially had an internal intervention sure. with myself and said, Hey, listen, you're never going back to taking these drugs. So you better figure something out because those are no longer going to be an option to you because I, you know, I didn't want to even think about, Oh yeah. Well, if I don't in a couple of years, it's just like, Oh, this didn't go well. I'll just go back to that. Like I didn't want to ever even, let that idea creep through my mind that that had, that that could even potentially be an option again. Back to what you're saying, caffeine. I, I mean, one thousand percent have really that caffeine good, dependence. That's a really good analogy, though, calling it an internal intervention because really that's the goal of an intervention. It's just something that you know some people they call it like rock bottom or or whatever. It's this moment in people's lives, especially in the the realm of addiction, where they realize what I am doing currently is not working and, and continuing is just simply not an option. And some people like you are able to achieve that realization on their own and other people need that help from, you know, outsiders. Like we talked about last week with the John Mulaney special, like he's eternally grateful to the people that showed up for him physically and on zoom um, to, <laughs> to help him come to that realization himself. You know, because sometimes for whatever reason, we we struggle to have that realization on our own. But I think it's really rad that, that you had that moment and that you just made that choice like I'm and I'm not going back. Um, yeah, I, I think for you know, I think, and, and have found tools to help. Yeah. And I think for a large part, the theme of this seems to be and maybe this is why there were so many questions that that came from my brief 
was telling you the story last week is I, I kind of feel like I'm the exception, not the rule. Like, I feel like there are a lot of people listening to this. They're probably thinking to themselves, oh, well, <laughs> when I try to do that, it didn't go quite that well. Or, you know, that it's not, you know, it, it, it's not that. E- and, and, and you're right. It's not that easy. Once again, I, I feel like a broken record. I got incredibly lucky that it ended up being that easy for me. Um, it, it should not, it probably should not have been that easy for me. Um, I'm sure it probably in reality wasn't actually as easy as I'm portraying as well. But like I said, as, as everyone does in life, if they're, you know, we, as humans tend to block things out if we don't want to think about them anymore sometimes. And so sure. I'm sure there were probably struggles that I had that whether it's just because it's been such a long time passing and my memory is not what it once was anymore, or I just blocked it out, whether it was consciously or subconsciously, I'm sure that there were struggles that I had, um, that I just can't recall at the moment. I, I can tell you, I mean, we, we touched on it briefly. Obviously, you know, my college experience from an academic standpoint was not nearly what it was in high school. Uh, yes, part of that right, was my so own. Who knows? Like, part of that was my own doing. But at the same time, I know that the willpower was there that had I, had I wanted to make more of an effort to be a better student in college, I'm sure I could have in the same manner that I didn't want to do take those pills anymore. So I just stopped doing it. You know, so it was a conscious decision that I made. But at the same time, it was, a, I guess it would have been a decision that I never would have had to have made had I stayed on the medication. But at the end of the day, when you weigh those pros and cons out, I'm still very, very happy with the decision that I ultimately ended up making. Because yeah. I don't think I would have had any semblance of a decent college experience non-academically because there's a lot to college besides just the academic nature of things. I mean, college is so much more right. than just That's, you go to class and you go home. So. I was and in it's a fraternity. More than just partying and stuff too. You were well, no, of course, you're an of independent course. human for the first time but in absolutely, your life. But I, I did join a fraternity and I don't think I would have wanted to join a fraternity or or have or have gotten the most out of that time in that fraternity had I still been on my on my medication, you know. I joined the the student sports fan club organization and I was at all the games and I was in the front row and yelling and cheering and screaming. I don't know if I would have been able to I sh- yes, I would have gone to the games, but I might have been sitting in the back, just kind of like, "Oh yeah, you know." Not, I don't, I don't know if I would have been as energetic and excited, right. and so I, I do think a that, full participant in your life. So I think that because I, I did that. Yes, did my, did I not do as well academically? Sure, but did I probably enjoy my overall college experience more? Yes, absolutely. I don't think I would have had that same college experience had I still been taking those medications. Um. Well, then going back to, you know, kind of the caffeine thing and talking about addiction versus dependence, um, that was a really good segue, though. So I appreciate you. So caffeine, you know, although it affects, I mean, it does it. Caffeine affects people with ADHD differently because as it is a stimulant, our brains. Man, I could soapbox on this, too. We'll just (laughs) say it affects us differently. Yes, of course. Overall, caffeine is um, an addictive substance, right? As you continue to consume it, your body becomes used to it. And so, A, it develops a tolerance, which we were talking about earlier, which means your body needs more of it to function um, or it needs more of it to achieve the same results. So if you are not used to caffeine and you drink a Red Bull, you are like, what did you say? Like your wife is like spinning off the planet. Like She's yes, surprised that, some days I'm that not is... spinning off the planet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, yes, exactly. Um, but for those of us who, who have caffeine every day, we're used to it. So it's, it's kind of, it's similar to a lot. of And, and on that note, we're so used to it that if we don't drink it in one day or we wait too late in the morning to drink it, it is not, not a good thing. The, the, 
what happens is not good. Headaches, irritability. Yeah. You, you want to fight people. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't yes. want to exist. You know. And yes. That is the dependence. A lot of people will hear that, and we talk about it colloquially and say, "Oh, I'm addicted to caffeine." Technically, you are dependent on caffeine. If you were addicted to caffeine, and here's the key difference: when you are addicted to something, it's, it's usually because you're dependent on it, because of how it impacts you. You are going to do anything to get it, no matter what. So, so somebody another good who example. is truly, yes, go ahead. I was going to say another another good example of that dependency versus addiction thing in a in a form similar to caffeine, as far as it being readily available and you know, not really viewed at as this, as a, as a kind of, as, as that type of substance, um, nicotine and tobacco, same thing like with those who smoke cigarettes or yes. whatever, you know, there, there's a dependency, but they might not necessarily be an addiction, but if they don't get, Correct. for whatever it is, if they don't have their morning cigarette or they need, or they need a cigarette, they can't get outside a smoker right away. They might experience those feelings of, okay, I need to get that in me now. And the key there too, where for a lot of people, there is an addiction because they'll know I need to quit smoking. I want to quit smoking, but I can't seem to bring myself to quit smoking. And that's like a key. There are actually like 12, you know, bullet points according to the the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Health Disorders or something. <laughs> Basically, the, the big book of uh, psychological stuff, and it defines like 12 different key traits to show that someone has an actual true addiction. Um, but like, yeah, somebody addicted to um caffeine is potentially you know they know that it's really bad for them maybe they have a heart condition and they're like having it constantly they're spending money on caffeine when they don't really have the money like things like that where it's starting to cross now into this territory of it it either the use of or the acquisition of the substance is harming you or it's all you think about it's all you care about and it's it's starting to take over your life that's when we start broaching into addiction over whereas yeah, whereas with the dependence, like I'm 100% dependent on caffeine. I'm not even going to try to pretend that I'm not. Uh, I enjoy it. It makes my day better. It helps me get through my day better. That being said, I also know that at the end of the tomorrow my doctor told me that, hey, you need to stop drinking caffeine because it's bad for you and you're going to have develop worse problems. I could stop tomorrow. Would Would the first few days after I stop be absolutely miserable for me? Yes, I would yes. have awful headaches and I would be <laughs> an angry person and I'd be absolutely miserable and no one would want to be around me for a few days. But after those few days ended and I essentially, you know, it, it, my brain realized that, okay, you're not getting caffeine anymore. Yeah, I could continue to just kind of function without it right. and I'd have to figure out you another way that. to. The withdrawals, essentially. I mean, to in a much milder extent. That like is it, what it is. It's yeah. 100% it's very, withdrawals. It's, a, it's, it's just a mild very... version of withdrawals. Like it's not, it's not extreme enough to yes. that you need to be under medical monitoring with it, like in some of, in some of the more um, severe substances of abuse. But yeah, you're essentially going through a minor detox and withdrawal process uh, where your brain is realizing, okay, I'm just not going to get this caffeine anymore. And then you got to figure out something else to do. But so yeah, there is, there is that yeah. fine line, but there are signs on each side of those fine lines to kind of help identify which side of the line you're on between dependency and addiction. And, you know, I think before we wrap up, one additional thing I kind of wanted to touch on in this scope, and we could spend an entire podcast just talking about this topic, but I, I find it very, um, I keep saying interesting, but it is, everything is just really interesting to me, where, you know, there is this, this 
unfortunate stigma and stereotype about addiction that, you know, people socially, um, generally in society, not everyone, obviously, but, but to have this perspective of an addict, even the word addict is like potentially a dirty word. You know, we think of people who are addicted to a substance as we have words like junkies. Uh, we think that they're criminals or losers and, oh, they were just, you know, they knew the risks and they were screwing around and, and they got themselves addicted. And so whatever happens to them is their problem. And that is such a nuanced issue. And there's so much to say um, about it. And for what it's worth, the official addiction help stance is that everyone deserves help for addiction, regardless of how it happened. But that's an aside. Chris um, likes to preach it to the to point us. of what we're talking about. Yes. Oh, sorry. Chris, Chris likes to preach Always. it to us. He said it on that episode that um, he sat in with me on, you know, you can't get help if you're dead. So, right. You know, it's, which is, it's I think just... he took that, not took it from me, but that's <laughs> something that I have been saying to him. Like, yeah, and, but, you know, but it, like, but it's true. I mean, obviously, you know, what had happened to you aside of, of how you got to where you're at ultimately. And we talked, we talked about it earlier with Tom Holland. We talked about it last week with John Mulaney. We, we we love seeing the end the end of the story being a positive and a good and a happy one. And that is and that is getting right. the help that you need so you can live a happy and healthy life and you can be a better person. And we always love it when these stories of potential sadness end in a with with a happy conclusion or a, or a good conclusion. Yes. And, and then that's the person ultimately went and got themselves the help that they needed, regardless of your exactly. background or regardless of how you got there. That's not right. You know, that's not important. What's it doesn't important matter. Is, You're still worthy. Yes. And I don't want to say it's but, not important because it's part of the story. Everything is part of a story. But the, ultimately, the most in part of the most important part of any story in life, in TV and movies and entertainment and anything is the end. It, obviously, the end is the most important part of the story. Without the end, you don't have everything that led up to the end. And so. If the end is that you got the help that you needed and you're sober and you're happy and you're healthy, then that is the best ending to a story you could That's possibly the key. have. Yes. Yeah. And going back to, you know, the the journey piece of it, you know, for some people, fine, maybe you were like being a risk taker or whatever. But for a lot of people, especially in the last 10, 20 ish years, a lot of people have become addicted to things, to medications and done it completely by accident not realized that they were a lot of getting opioids. so that's why yeah. yes that's, opioids that's again that in and of itself could also be an entire podcast yeah. <laughs> um uh may 9th i think was fentanyl awareness day so look it up listeners um but yeah people taking medication much like you or me or whatever for pain or other conditions become dependent on it can become addicted because they're dependent on it and it's a slippery slope and then they don't necessarily realize until it's too late and they're looking at themselves like oh no like now what do i do and and a big issue i think that happens with people is there's this sense of like they don't view themselves in the way that they view the typical addict and so they might be more hesitant to get help they might um struggle to accept or acknowledge that they actually have an addiction because they don't view themselves as like yeah I'm not a I'm not a drunk I'm not a, a junkie you know I'm not I'm not doing the same things that those people are and so it because they're not operating at this extreme of addiction they don't necessarily look to get help or to stop or to 
become self-aware in the sense that you kind of were about, you know, I don't like the way that my life is because of this. I need to do something about it. And like I said, we could spend an entire podcast just talking about that in and of itself, but I did want to at least briefly mention it since we were since we were discussing the topic overall. No, absolutely. And once again, it's not something you know, I think that we talk about, you know, as a, as a society, we talk about like this person got help for addiction and they were super, super addicted. And it was very obvious to everyone. Uh, but there are a lot of people within that sort of gray area. And I don't I don't know that that gets talked about enough. No, absolutely. And once again, you know, I I'll say it again. I got incredibly lucky. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of those negative effects after the fact I for whatever reason, yeah, I mean, there, I'm, the dependency was there, I'm sure, but I didn't get addicted to either of those two prescriptions I was on. Uh, obviously, had I, this story would have gone w- way differently. I mean, sure, yeah, I'm sure I still would have tried to 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 quit the way I did because, once again, dumb 17-year-old kid doesn't know any better. Um, I think the end result would have been a lot different because I think I would have ended up probably experiencing much more in the way of withdrawal symptoms and I probably then would have had to have gone and told somebody and maybe gone through you know a more uh, proper medical treatment which I should have done anyway once again I just want to reiterate again right right talk to your doctor there 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 was a proper medical way that I should have done that and that I didn't do so I and it doesn't it doesn't mean too that you need to like if you are if you were dependent on something like we got to lock you away and it's going to be super expensive no no of course not yeah people most cases it literally happens on an outpatient basis. At you can home. do tapering at home. Absolutely. Things to yeah. look for. Yes. They will come up with a plan for you. So don't listen to this and panic and think, oh, no, I have to go like check into a check in like facility to detox. Like most cases, no, most even with the dangerous stuff, for the most part, you can do it on an outpatient basis. Don't let that stop you. Had I gone through the proper channels, I would have talked to my therapist and I would have talked to my primary care physician and the three of us would have come up with some sort of plan to get me off of it. I'm sure, like I mentioned earlier, I'm sure there would have been right. some sort of tapering involved. You know, they might have upped my therapy you know, sessions Things a little to bit. look out for. Yeah, I'm sure yes. there, there would have been a tapering process. I'm sure that they would, that, that my therapist would have upped my session numbers of how often I was going for those few weeks or even months as I was going through that process. Yeah, there, there would have been, but I would, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would not have had to have gone and checked myself into a rehab facility or gone to a, overnight detox center or anything no i mean there there are there are many instances where you can do it on your own with the help of your of your doctors and your your treatment professionals right so, yeah, with guidance absolutely you know like you say don't anyone who might be listening is thinking about doing it yet don't think that you're gonna have to as you say lock yourself away or or not be able to you know do what you need to do uh on a daily basis and of course we also want to mention too that if you are somebody that does need to go to a facility and check yourself in and stay there that's okay too because once again as we talk about whatever mm-hmm. method you need to get yourself better is okay and it's nobody else's business but your own right you don't need to justify it to anybody if dan and jessica support you that's all that matters <laughs> we support you bingo bingo but on that note uh we have run a little bit long today for very very good reasons though because i think that uh what we talked about today was very good and thank you so so much to all those listeners uh, that had those que- that listened to my story last week and had those questions. Um, I was very happy to share that additional information. Hopefully, hopefully somebody out there is listening to that and might also think to themselves, "Oh, wait, I don't necessarily need to be uh, on these substances anymore." Or they might think it the other way around and say, "I don't like how I am now. Maybe I should go and talk to my doctor about maybe being able to." 
beyond something like like in your case, Jess, where you're now uh, later in life now finding ways that make you happier and healthier in life, whichever way that may be. So yep. uh, on that note, that will do it for today's show. Of course, thanks to you to Jess always for joining me. Um, once again, if you liked what you heard today, like, rate, subscribe, review, leave a comment, leave a message, leave more questions. We would love to do more of these Q&A sessions with you guys. So please, please uh, leave questions for us. Uh, this this was a lot of fun to be able to get you all involved right. and, and feel like you guys were a part of our show today a little bit more. So as far as an active part right. of our show also today. Also comments so please, and suggestions. Yes. Like if there's, I didn't mean to just talk right over you, Dan. No. I'm sorry. It's mobile ADHD. But yes, if you have comments and suggestions about uh, topics that you want us to talk about too, let us know if there's something that we kind of covered that you're like, I want to learn more about that or something that we haven't even touched on that you want to hear us talk about. We'll do the research and we'll come chat about it. And as always, if you or a loved one is struggling with substance abuse, addiction, or mental health, mental health help is always available as we've talked about. Uh, findtreatment.gov is a great resource. It's a great place for you to find treatment options in your area. Uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration also has a toll-free helpline that you can call as well. And that number is 1-800-662-4357. That's 1-800-662-4357. And of course, addictionhelp.com, where you can find all the great work that Jess is doing over there with uh, great resource pages, great information, uh, as well as, as additional sources for you to be able to find the help that you need. Uh, should you need it. So as always, we like to say it's okay not to be okay. And uh, it's okay to go ahead and get help in any way that you deem necessary and healthy for yourself. So uh, on that note, thank you all for tuning in today. And we will see you next week. Have a great week, everyone.